You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. My guest this week was artist and illustrator Katie Grugan. And there are a lot of takeaways from my conversation with Katie that I'm still kind of unpacking. But I think the first item is what her very quick transformation from warrior to artist indicates about a lot of people currently serving or a lot of veterans and their relationship with the arts. So Katie, in a a two-year period, a shockingly short period, went from being medically retired from the army to being an artist who can literally, or I guess figuratively, snap her fingers and turn on commissions for her artwork and then turn them off when she's too busy. Um, I mean, a degree of flexibility and a degree of autonomy in the arts that's you know incredibly difficult to achieve, even in this day and age of social media. Um, I mean, she and I talk about on the episode, I don't think she would have been able to pull this off in, say, 1982. I mean, social media certainly has helped a lot of artists, but the quality has to be there. If you're not good, it doesn't really matter uh, how powerful social media is. And the fact that Katie had this talent so close to the surface that she could access it within a two-year period to make it profitable without any training, without ever having been on an artistic path, is really incredible. And um, as she says in the episode, you know, she wouldn't be the artist that she is without her military career. Um, and certainly that's true. It does you know, make you wonder uh, and I guess open your eyes, open one's eyes even more to the um, viability of art in many warriors' lives and how... Um, and. I don't know if easy is the right word, but how um, possible it is to take something that's being done for therapeutic reasons, which art was for Katie initially, and find a way to commercialize it almost unintentionally just because it's fucking good. And I know once you say commercialize, everybody kind of winces and there's an asshole puckering thing that goes on where people don't like something to be commercial. But the fact of the matter is, is, um, I think as we talk about a little bit in the episode, there's a value in your artwork being commercially successful. It means people are willing to put down their hard-earned money for it and that it has value. And if your artwork is already valuable because of what it's doing for you therapeutically, there's also a lot of therapeutic value in seeing that a public appreciates it as well. And, um, And the fact that Katie could transition her artwork so quickly from stuff that she was doing as part of her mental health regimen to something that the public was clamoring for is really remarkable. And I think indicates, um, gives some indication of how much potential there is in the veteran community uh, when the time is right. And when veterans are ready to um, unpack their military careers, um, work themselves out therapeutically and then look and then find an appreciative audience that um, 
is clamoring for their work. So I found it to be a very hopeful and, and positive and, and um, inspiring interview. And Katie is uh, just a great interview anyway. Um, like any good Army officer, she gives good, uh, articulate, uh, well-thought-out answers, uh, is not afraid to think before she speaks. And when she speaks, it's directed to the point and answers the questions. And, and it's, uh, it uh, cracked me up. It was a delight uh, <laughs> because it's just, uh, I don't know, just reminded me of being in the military. And, um, and, oh, but also I appreciated how honest and transparent and thoughtful and articulate she could be when this is all still very recent. I mean, that's something else. There's a degree of self-knowledge and self-awareness that I thought was really impressive. So all to say, it's so exciting to see somebody leveraging their talent so quickly um, after a series of traumatic events. I think everyone is going to get a lot of value out of what Katie has to say. So without any further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the Artistic Director at Veterans Repertory Theater, and this is The Savage Wonder of Katie Krugan. Welcome to the show, Katie. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to meet with you. I know. Um, likewise, did you like the uh, big fanfare of the start of the show? You feel like I- you're on the Tonight Show, like all the, the music playing, rockets going off. It's, it's a big production we have here. Yeah, I'm waiting on somebody to bring me like a glass of water and some green M&Ms. Yeah. Our hospitality is terrible <laughs> on the show. It really is. Um, listen, so this is awesome. I'm, fi- I'm glad we're able to finally sit down. I know it's been a long time coming. Um, where are you? Where are you coming um, from? Where am I from? Um, well, yeah, yeah. For the, for the show, like where are you at right now? Uh, right now, I'm in Kentucky, um, a little bit east of Lexington. Okay. Um, yeah, I just moved up here a few months ago. Um, right on okay i love the state of kentucky that was my my home away from home for a while i'm a big fan of kentucky yeah yeah what brought you to kentucky um so my fiance is teaching rtc right now um at moorhead state university oh okay all right um how are you adjusting to it how's it feel it's a it's not that much i'm from tennessee um i'm still pretty close to home so it's it's not that different um seems like a good state so far Okay. Not trees. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, well, listen, let's start, I think, at the beginning. Um, so I should probably tell everybody, I mean, I could probably say this in the intro that I'll record after the fact, but um, so we got introduced through Charlie Faint um, because he likes to book the show sometimes, which is very cool <laughs> of him. And, uh, and, it's, and, and uh, what was your connection with Charlie? How did, she, how did you get to know Charlie? Okay, so I was very, very briefly a West Point girlfriend. Um, a West Point girlfriend. Okay. A West Point girlfriend. Yes. Okay, interesting. Um, uh-huh. So I went up there for a couple of events um, where I met them, a couple of balls and dinners and things. And uh, at one point, they invited us over for dinner. Um, they're just lovely people. They really are. And so, you know, the wonders of Facebook, we've stayed connected. That's awesome. Well, and that really is a connection because I mean, that's, I mean, if you were for a while, a West Point girlfriend, and then that connection has lasted that whole time, I mean, that, that really must've been an indelible imprint. 
Now, this has been, gosh, like eight years ago, I wow. think. Wow. So. And were you in the army yourself at the time or did you end up joining after or before? Oh, no, I joined. I joined after. Okay. Yeah. So where, what were you when you were also a West Point girlfriend? Were you in college somewhere else or what were you? <laughs> I, I was uh, finishing up my bachelor's at the University of Tennessee. Okay. Um, and I was was in this relationship i got introduced to like the army life but really it was more um the the boyfriend at the time was always talking about like how difficult it was um how i didn't understand how hard it was and i was working like three jobs at the time i was broke as a joke um and i was like i think i could probably do this um for a paycheck and so i graduated um and I went to OCS. So were you ROTC at all while you were in college? I was I was not. Um okay. my parents were both army and my dad tried to talk me into doing ROTC. Wow. Um and you know whoever listens to their dads um right 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 right. <laughs> well that's so that's funny. So your boyfriend's trying to give you a sob story about how hard it is but it's like both your parents had been in so it wasn't like it was a mystery to you. It wasn't like you were mm-hmm. wandering around you know, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, when you joined the army, how was it? I mean, what'd you think? Were you like, yeah, yeah, this isn't too bad. This is, this is doable. (laughs) Um, basic training. I was like, okay, you know, this kind of sucks and I'm starving. Um, but this seems pretty great. I got to OCS and I had a few regrets. Um, really, it was, it was really hot at Fort Benning. Like it was just really, really hot. Um, and then I, I commissioned field artillery, um, cause you know, I was down at Fort Benning and if you ain't combat arms, you ain't shit. And I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I went to Fort Sill and no, it was something I really enjoyed. Um, loved, loved being in the army, loved my job with field artillery, like complained about it daily probably, but uh-huh course yeah <laughs> and you and you can still hear too which is which is even better yeah, yeah. um what um <laughs> sorry that, that took me a second <laughs> no it's all right yeah um so i uh, when did you feel like you had turned a corner or did you i mean i'm trying to imagine if you had two parents that were both in the army you probably it, it, was there a kind of a seminal moment where you're like, holy crap, I'm actually a soldier. I'm out. This is actually me. I'm, I'm really actually doing it um, versus kind of hearing about it secondhand and, you know, hearing about it from other people, seeing soldiers on the news, what have you. Was there a moment where you kind of were like, yep, wow, I'm 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 actually the real deal now. I get to walk with a strut. Um, that's a great question. I think it had to be when I commissioned because, you know, OCS, mm. there's, you know, it's so short and there's always this chance of like recycling. And um, I think when, yeah, when I put my little butter bars on, I was like, okay, I did this. I did something. Um, and you went active, right? When you went I did, in? yes. So where, where was your first duty station? After. Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Oh my God! So you spent a lot of time in Lawton, okay? Home of the field artillery. Uh, yes. I went. I went to basic at Lawton. Uh, that is a, uh, <laughs> and it was so fun. We had a guy in our basic platoon 
that was from Lawton. And of course, it joined the army to see the world. <laughs> they sent him to Lawton. As I, um, anyway, yeah, Lawton, Oklahoma. Boy, that is a, uh, how'd you, how'd you like Fort Sill? Um, love-hate relationship, really. Sure. I sure. mean, it can get boring. Um, it gets a lot of hate, but I actually had a really great unit and mm. really great leadership. Um, I had, um, uh, one of my battalion commanders was just one of the best people I've ever met. And it just mm. made a really good culture. Um, yeah, I think that made the biggest difference for me. It was just the unit that I was in. Um, great soldiers, great NCOs. I, Lawton is Lawton. Um, I do find myself every once in a while missing Oklahoma. Like I'll mm. be looking at mm-hmm. some, some weak sunsets down here. And I'm like, mm, the sky out there doesn't look like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That is true. I remember when on, um, I don't even remember what it's called. Like when the parents come to see you at basic anyway, that night when you finally get off post, um, and we went out to this little, uh, bar restaurant, like, but outside on the outskirts of Lawton, if it was even in Lawton itself. And I was like, Oh, actually it's pretty cool. I bet, you know, I mean, when you're a basic, I mean, whatever, you're, you're kind of getting everything secondhand. You're hearing about things, yeah. you know, through the grapevine, um, driving through Lawton, I wasn't blown away, but yeah, when you kind of got out to, to, uh, the badlands out there, it was actually pretty cool. And then the, the graveyards, I mean, just, you know, yeah, yeah, I liked Oklahoma. I did feel like I was on the far side of the moon for a little bit, but, uh, Lawton's <laughs> an interesting place. Um, so at, let me, let me pause the military stuff for one second. What were you prior to the military? Were you a sports chick? Were you an artist? Where had, the, had there been art in your life prior to joining the military? Um, so I was a chronic overachiever. Um, a <laughs> little bit of yeah. little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I ran track and cross country in high school. I didn't really do much in college, but you know, running is was always a part of my life. Um, and then I had a couple of art classes in high school. Like I learned, you know, shape and shadow and composition and things like that. Um, but it was really more of just, uh, doodling on the side of my notes while I was doing my homework kind of thing. Um, yeah, mostly it was just working a lot and trying to get my straight A's, which seemed to matter a lot less now than they did when I was studying for them, but it is what it is. What were you aiming towards? What did you think you were going to end up doing? Uh, I majored in psychology. Um, Okay. It's something that, you know, I still care very much about. Um, I'm a graduate student in social work now, so I am continuing that many years later. Um, It's just, it's something that you can't do anything without a graduate degree. And in my head, I was like, I could go to grad school right now. And then I could go start working with people and try to help them through life. But I have absolutely no life experience of my own. And that just seemed really, I don't know if hypocritical is the right word, but it felt like not enough to offer to anyone that I would be working with in the future. Um, That's incredible self-awareness. I don't think a lot of people have that. I'm not sure I would have had that. That's that's was, really incredible. I was really young and I felt really young and I needed to go get older somewhere. Wow. Did, was there other options besides the military to do that? Was there anything else you looked at and was like, yeah, that could weather me. That could, 
teach me a thing or two? It The Army really just, it just felt like the right path. Everything okay. in my life was pushing me in that mm-hmm. direction. Um, and so instead of fighting it, I was like, okay, we'll just go with this and see where it takes me. Katie, can you talk for a second just about, since this was less than eight years ago, right? Yeah. What, what is, I mean, going into a military at the height of war, can you just talk a little bit about the decision-making process, the amount of people I run into that are like, yeah, I kind of like the idea of the military, but whoa, whoa, I wasn't going to go to war. Just talk about what that meant for you. What you're just, how do you, how was that even an obstacle for you? Was that ever an issue? Did that, was that just in one ear and out the other? And you're like, yeah, fuck it. Right. I go to war, whatever, whatever. What was the, what was the thought process? I don't, I don't know that I ever really thought about that. And if I did, I think I was like, that's cool. I think I probably had a lot to prove to myself. Um, and that seems like a good way to do it. Um, test my limits. and You needed something. You needed something to uh, age you. Yeah, right. You're like, yeah. okay, hey, war, war. I'm down for war. That's cool. Um, what? When did you deploy? Um, so I didn't actually... I went to Korea, you know, like okay. everybody right. at Fort Sill goes okay. to Korea. It's not, it wasn't a combat zone. Um, so yeah, I did my nine months there, had a great time, um, you know, sat on a beach for ever waiting for North Korea to fire a missile so we could fire one back and right, right. didn't happen, but <laughs> they took your war away from you. Yeah. It was so disappointing. Like you just sat out there for so long. <laughs> Talk about that then. What what was um what was the fear? Are you still in now? Are you still in the reserves now? No, or are you I'm out? Not. Okay, you're out. Yeah. So um talk about getting out then too, because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, I was actually talking about this yesterday with Lilla, with Charlie's wife. Um, and uh we were talking about just the, the we're trying to explain to somebody about military culture <laughs> that's I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the scenic version of of our conversation. So we're talking about veteran resource fairs and why no veterans like going to them. And I was like, well, it becomes a dick measuring contest, and a lot of people reliving the past. And you do so much work to distance yourself from your military career so you can get on with your life. But then to go back into an environment that's like, hey, what was your rank? Where were you? Hey, where were you stationed at? Oh yeah, did you do this? Did you do that? And it's like, uh, okay, right now I got to go and go through all that again. Um, and we were kind of talking about that, about, um, you know, how that just creates another barrier to overcome. Does any of that relate to you? Did you have any of those thoughts? Was there anything like that? Getting out, being part of the veteran community? I, I, and I guess what I'm saying is for me, it always comes back to regrets. What are the things that you didn't do? What are the things that like, yeah, oh, okay, right. I got to justify X, Y, and Z. And I, yeah, okay. And this is why that happened. And, you know, like, it's it just um, sometimes it's more trouble than it's worth. Was there any of that for you as well, or is this just kind of a me issue? So transitioning out was something that was really painful for me in just okay. a lot of different ways. Um, I didn't get to make the decision to transition out. I was medically retired. Wow. Um, and there's just something really hard about somebody making such a major life decision for you that maybe I would have been ready to move on. I don't know. Looking back, um, like I said, I loved my job. I loved working with soldiers. I was really excited about the future. I had my five-year plan. Um, 
And then, you know, just a run of bad luck. And suddenly I'm out. I'm a civilian. I don't know who I am anymore. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really long story um, that it's I okay. can go into. We, 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 we got time. I mean, I am interested. <laughs> I mean, what was, um, I guess, let me start with this. Uh, well, what was it? What, what, what happened? So it was a couple of things. Um, so I had, like I said, just a run of bad luck. Um, I had a heat injury. Um, that I didn't seek medical attention for because I'm not a little bitch, um, which was absolutely the wrong answer. Um, so in June of 2018, I was diagnosed with epilepsy from that. Um, I, I started having from that. Yes. I'd started having seizures. I didn't know I was because they were happening at night. Um, I actually found out because my then boyfriend, now fiance was staying over and I had like two or three of them and it just, he panicked and I was like, okay, this, this explains a lot. <laughs> uh, oh my yeah, God. Why? I, Cause you were waking up in the morning, like with a headache and tired and like, why am I so beat up or something? I, like- <laughs> I would have days and they weren't frequent. It was, yeah. you know, like once every couple of months, I would just have a day where I sleep for like 18 hours. Wow. And in my head, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, this is probably normal. Like other people probably do this when they're wow. really tired. Um, but yeah, it would just be every couple of months I would miss PT. Um, no explainable reason. Um, my commander actually, when I was in Korea, I had one that was actually really bad. Um, and apparently they sent me to a Korean hospital. I have no recollection of this. Um, but yeah, in my head, I was like, this is just fine. Like you justify things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Of course. And so I got diagnosed and I was, I was pretty sure that I could still stay, stay in. Um, like I said, they weren't very frequent. I was assuming that, you know, I would be on medication. It would be effective. I might have to limit some of the jobs that I could choose as far as like, you know, maybe I couldn't, you know, take a command. Maybe I would live my life as, as um, I was branch detailed um, intelligence. So live my life as a little gotcha. staff officer, but gotcha. stay in. Um, it's not how it worked out at all. Um, it was a very long two year process to get that under control. Um and then in August of 2018, I was walking through uh, my unit's motor pool, like a good little staff officer at that time, carrying my papers. Um, and I walked behind a 1068. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the back ramp free fell and just hit me on the top of the knee. Um <laughs> Jesus. And that was it. Wow. That was it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was no like, oh, I can get through this one. Uh, yeah, I was done. Wow. What um, I can imagine then that makes a lot of sense why a transition would be difficult. Um, did you, were you aware prior to those injuries, how much your identity was being wrapped up in the military? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Um, I think for the first couple of 
really the first year, I think I kind of was fighting it. I was like, I'm in the army. I don't know that I really want to commit to this and to being this person. Um, but then somewhere along the line, it just, you know, it just became who I was, who my friends were, who my family was like, I just felt at home where I was. Um, and so then getting out and not having just that schedule and those people, um, not yeah. waking up in the morning and going to work, um, not getting evaluated regularly. So people could tell me how I was doing and what I could improve on. That was really important to that's me. That's the, that's the straight A student right there. Yeah. <laughs> you need that feedback, right? Yeah. Absolutely. What, had you thought this was going to be a career at some point prior to those injuries? Had, had you been like, yeah, this, this could be a career here. Um, I'm not sure that I ever wanted to be a major. Um, mm-hmm. That was a decision that I was mm-hmm. going to wait um, and see what my life looked like at that point. If I wanted a family, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that I necessarily ever wanted to pull iron major hours. Um but it was something that was definitely, I had, I didn't have any plans of getting out anytime soon. Um, So what happens then when you're medically discharged, you're back in the States and looking for work? I mean, what's, what's your, what are you doing to occupy yourself now? So I got out um, in March of 2020. Oh, Um, (laughs) good timing. Wow. Yeah. That's when I left Oklahoma. Um, I mean, I was retired. I received my army pension, my VA disability. I'm very um, comfortable. I mean, I don't necessarily have enough income just off that to like live to the standard I've become accustomed to, um, but very comfortable and enough that I could take, just, just take time, figure things out. that was a good time to yeah. take time. It was. Yeah. It absolutely yeah. was. Um, and then through the whole process, I, I had no idea when I was going to be out up until a couple of weeks before it happened, just waiting on paperwork, um, doctors to do what they were supposed to do. Um, and so it was so slow. And then all of a sudden I was done. Um, were you anxious prior to getting out in that, in that kind of purgatory where you're sitting there waiting for paperwork to be processed or were you resigned to it or where, where was your head at prior to that? It, it was a very frustrating process. Yeah. I, I had already re- realized like as an officer, I was useless. Um, I couldn't stop having seizures. I couldn't walk. <laughs> um, I think I was on crutches for nine months out of that year. Wow. Wow. Um, and so I, I had accepted at that point that there wasn't much I could do. Um, I've been told I was having a med board, um, that got kicked back for lack of paperwork. So that was another like three or four months to start that over again. Um, it was just this, this feeling of being torn between wanting to stay where I was and then wanting to move on and see what that looked like. And then at the same time, my unit had just deployed and it's tough getting left behind. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, all my friends just gone. Uh, my fiance PCS this is my sob story. <laughs> no, listen, I mean, but it, but it's real. I think that's the worst place to be in the army is limbo. 
I, I yeah. think there's there's any situation any situation you can find yourself in the military is better than that. Just at the whim of the bureaucracy and just waiting to hear your fate. What did you do to occupy yourself, especially? And I'm wondering if the straight A student was coming to the forefront. You're like out there, are you trying to research like schools or jobs or just something that you can look to the future and go, okay, hey, this is what I can do then when I get out? Or were you completely in the moment? I got to be honest. I don't even know if I was in the moment. I was in a fog at this point. Uh, um, you know, I'm on pain pills. Um, I'm on seizure medication, just trial after trial of seizure medication. I am in this absolute fog all the time. Um, yeah, just there wasn't enough space in my brain to figure out what I wanted to do next. There was just like, I'm going to do my day-to-day work. I'm going to do the work that I can at work so that I can feel like I'm accomplishing something. And so I have something to kind of like hold on to reality. And then the rest of the time, I was just trying to make it through. What um, can you just describe? I don't know if this is a moment for you, uh, but if it is, I'm just going to ask, what was it like to leave post for the last time and drive off and go, I don't know where I'm necessarily going or I, you know, there's kind of a bit of an unknown. Maybe, you know, physically where you're going, but there's so many unknowns that are suddenly facing you. Was that a moment for you to actually exit, physically exit the military? Or was that just kind of part of the blur? Um, leaving my apartment there, um, mm. like for the last time, that was a big moment. Uh, part of it was relief. Uh, this is over. I don't have to wait in limbo anymore. Um, I have a, some kind of direction. I don't have to worry about the immediate future. Mm. Um, I'm still going to have a paycheck. Right. Um, and then partly just regret uh, the things that I didn't get to do. And then, I mean, I don't think anybody is like, I absolutely love my life at home. Let me go somewhere where people are going to yell at me. Um, <laughs> so there's that mixed into it too. Um, yeah, yeah. Not knowing what it's going to feel like being back, being back in Knoxville, being back home. So is that where you, that's where you went was back in Knoxville? Stayed with and, my parents for a little while. Wow. Uh, what was that like? I love my parents. <laughs> it was uh, it was good to have them. It was COVID. Nobody was going yep. anywhere. Um, so it wasn't, it was less isolated than I was before. Um, and then it's also hard to go from living your own life to living with your parents. My mom really hates the way I do laundry. Just really hates it. So now that, I mean, it is, I, I guess, in so I'm trying to think if it was a blessing or a curse to get out when you did. Part of me thinks it might've been the perfect time because it was like the entire world came to a stop. So you're not out of step with the rest of the world. It's like everybody's reassessing, everybody's reconsidering their lives yeah. kind of at that point. Did you feel that or, or did did you still feel like you were out of step now with the civilian world still. Um, I that's a good question. These are great questions. I felt I didn't know what I felt at that time. I like I said, I was on um, some different anticonvulsants. They all have really dramatic side effects. 
Um, a lot of them were just, you know, mood changes, random anger, random sadness, depression. Um, and it was really hard to differentiate between whether my feelings were my own, um, just dealing with the transition or if it was chemically induced. Um, it was just very confusing a lot. Uh, my fiance had deployed at this point too. Um, and so I didn't have that kind of feedback of somebody that really knew me to point out like, this is probably not you right now. So maybe we're right. just not going to read into this. Sure. When did art start to factor in? When did the illustrations start to occur then? I, so after my knee injury, um, I, I basically spent three months on the couch um, just couldn't walk, couldn't, sure. couldn't do much. Um, and my stress relief for my entire life had always been, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to, you know, I don't like where I am now. I'm going to run until it feels better. Um, and then all of a sudden I don't have that. Um, we'll never have that again. And that was just such an empty space in my life. Of, I can't, you know, I can't be my perfectionist self at work. Wow. There's nobody for me to prove anything to, you know, I can try to prove things to my physical therapist, but that, right. Right. <laughs> that doesn't feel satisfying. Um, so I'm, I'm just laying on the couch there's only so many times you can watch new girl. Um, and I, I just needed something and I just, I had some paper and had a black ink pen and that's what I did. Um, and I wanted I was thinking about this week, actually, I was wondering about like where my style came from, because it's not something that I'd ever really thought about. It's just something that developed organically. Um, mm. I've, I've never been a color person. Um, mm. I respect people that do, but for me, somehow it doesn't feel authentic. Um, and like black and white kind of matched my mood at the time. That's fair. Um, sure. And then I like I do stippling, um, you know, thousands of tiny little dots. And that just kind of like to me felt like it matched like the fogginess of my situation. Um, and like I said, I was having a hard time figuring out what was real and what was what was not real in my situation. And so I was just looking at an object and drawing it. And I think in my head, I thought that if I could see something well enough to put it onto paper, then I could tell, then I could, then I could differentiate in that way. Like this is wow. real. And I know that because I can see it enough to translate it to a two-dimensional object. Did you feel like there were um, bouts of actual, what do you call it? would it be called hallucination or delusion or something like that where like it really was a mental challenge to determine what was real and what wasn't at that point it was it was more emotional it wasn't okay okay no no hallucinations or anything just really really intense emotional shifts mm -hmm. um that didn't didn't match up with anything that was going on in my sure. reality so um, what would do you remember what the first thing was that you actually tried to draw yeah. So there's a lot of junipers in Oklahoma, mm. like really big, old, beautiful junipers. Um, and I was like, what the heck? 
I'll do this. It was interesting. You know, it's got a lot of lines, um, which makes it kind of easier to draw. Um, the like needles are really close together. So that also made it easier. I kind of wanted to go for something realistic and I finished it and I was like, Oh, this is kind of good. Um, really? You thought it was you right off the bat. You were like, there's something here. Yeah. I, I was like, I didn't know I could do that. Um, what were you using just a pen or just a G2 ink pen? Wow. Wow. And did this, how long did it take you to do the first one? Oh gosh. I'm not a reliable narrator. I really am not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Nobody will know the difference. That's so all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was maybe three or four days. Okay. Um, it really held my attention and I liked that. And were you doing it for hours on end? Was it something you were picking up, putting down? Were you thinking about it? Did it, it start to infiltrate just your random thoughts or, yeah, or was it kind it, of doodle glorified doodling at that point? It kind of got into my head. Um, I do it for an hour, maybe okay. two. Um, it was really meditative actually. Mm. It, was, it was the first thing that really held my attention um, and didn't demand a lot from me. And it was something very visible that I was accomplishing. Like there was something there after those couple of hours. And so I was kind of doing it between naps. Like I was sleeping yep. a lot, Yep. wake up, draw a little bit, go back to sleep. And this was, you said it was just during the three month period when you're kind of laid up mm-hmm. anyway, um, because you're still on active duty at some point that three months kind of ended and you were back up doing your work. Did the, did the drawing stay with you? Did you find time for it? Did you just put it on hold? What, what relationship it started with it? It's something that stayed with me. Like I, I mean, I would go to work, I would do my job, but like I said, my unit had deployed, mm-hmm. uh, my fiance had deployed. Um, and it's not like I had much to do after work was over. Right. right. Um, right. Like, I'm not going to try to make new friends right now when I'm leaving in a few months. That doesn't, right. that doesn't seem worth my energy. Um, right. So yeah, it was, it was something that kept me busy. And when I was feeling lonely, um, just distracted me from it, gave me something to, to fill the time with. And did it continue to kind of be a meditative exercise? Was that kind of the therapeutic value of it for you? Absolutely. It was. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to say that it was a thing that got me through, like I'm in the social work field now. I think everyone should have a therapist. I have a, an amazing therapist. Um, but it's definitely something that kept me occupied and kept me going while I was working through things, um, through therapy. Um, and it filled space that might otherwise have been filled with things that were less less healthy, less productive. So um, did it start to, did it start to grow? Did it start to um, take up more bandwidth? Was there any ambition um, on your part? I'm thinking of the straight A student that's going, well, hell, if I do a juniper, then, Hey, maybe I should do, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, did, was there, was there anything like that? Or was it something where because of the therapeutic nature uh, of the, you were finding there, it was just, 
catch as catch can. I'm, you're, you'll take whatever immediately comes to you, but you're not really ambitious with it. Whatever stuck out to me. Um, okay. It didn't feel like a real, like it, it felt like a hobby, like a, mm-hmm. just a very side temporary hobby. Um, it's not something I ever considered would take up as much of my time as it does now. Um, I actually, I don't remember at what point it was in my transition process, but one of my friends from many years back uh, is a poet, um, Mm. an amazing, amazing poet. um, And she was just self-publishing some of her poems. And she called me up and asked me if I wanted to illustrate the cover for her. I didn't feel like I was good enough to do that. Uh, like you could ask literally anybody else, but. And how did she know? How did she know to ask you? Had you been sharing your work somehow? I posted a couple of things on Instagram. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. So she saw a couple of them and liked the style and thought it matched up well with her poetry. And so she asked. And this was Return Unto Me. This was that book. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. This was um, Hell Bring the Kids To. Uh, her first okay. one. Okay. Um, it was just a compilation of of family poems, and she really is amazing. Um, she's I, I wouldn't have done it if she wasn't amazing. Like I wouldn't have put my name on something that I didn't mm. really believe in. And I just she's really capable of portraying grief in a way that is respectful and inviting. I think a lot of the times grief poetry. Um, or like contemplations on family. I think it can become voyeuristic or kind of like grief porn. Um, mm, yeah. Grief porn. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. And there, there was nothing about that in, uh, in her books. And so I said, yes, so I'll see what I can do. Um, so and then I was that, was that the, myself. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, was that the first time you had drawn conceptually as opposed to just something that you saw that you wanted to draw? It was. Yeah. Okay. And how was that? What was that like for you? I started over, over and over and over again. I I didn't really know where to start. And that's where like the perfectionism started to hurt me a little bit is instead of just relaxing into the piece, mm. um, I just overthought it. Sure. And, sure. Yeah. What what was what was the first step you took in getting that drawing together? Was it reading her poetry and just seeing what inspired you or did you have an idea in mind already when she first asked you? She kind of had a little bit of an idea of okay. what she wanted. Um, and then she let me take it wherever I wanted to go. Um, and then I read her poetry a few times, got the feel for it. Um, it really already matched or felt like it matched what I was doing. Like the, the black and white um, seems like it fit really well there. And so I didn't have to change anything that I was doing. I didn't have to step outside my medium. And that was a lot more comfortable than I expected it to be. I don't want to read too much into this, but I'll throw out the possibility and you tell me if I'm making too much of this. <laughs> okay. But um, it, it seems interesting to me that um, it's poetry about grief and loss that was coming to you at that point in your life, right? Yes. Um, I guess, were you 
amused at the uh, lack of irony in in, 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 in in that coming together? Or was there a bit of a revelation of like, wow, I really am the right person to do this, especially right now. And I can channel a lot of my feelings into this piece. It felt a little on the nose a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. Like this is just too relevant right now. Um, but it did become a good way uh, for me to channel, channel some grief of my own. Um, sometimes, you know, looking at yourself is really hard. And so um, when you read something that invites you into grief in that way, it's, it feels good. It feels like easier. Yeah. Yeah. What was the second order effect of doing that cover then? I mean, it led then to other covers for her, right? Were other people hitting you up as well? They were. Um, one, it made me take myself seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it became, it was still a hobby. It was still something that I felt like was for me, but it also became something that I could put out there for other people. Um and so I started doing uh, portraits, really, whether that's pet portraits or people portraits. I don't, wow. I don't discriminate. But wow! And were and were these commissioned? Did people were coming people mm-hmm. coming to you and asking for? And so, right, did you ever have to get involved in the dirty, dark, seedy underbelly of of the business of art and actually negotiate prices? Or were people just coming out of the woodwork and going, "Hey, I love your stuff. Can I give you X?" number can I give you this amount of money for to do this portrait that's basically what it was wow here's wow. here's some money take it draw this thing be great <laughs> and so so what's interesting to me about that is it's funny because at VetRep we talk about this all the time we have to explain this to people all the time because people always think of us as a therapeutic organization because once you say you're part of you're doing a veterans nonprofit for veterans in the arts they're like oh great I'd love to support veterans in the arts that are doing this. And we're like, well, yeah, but we're not actually here to help veterans. We're here. We're veterans that are trying to help audiences have something different. It's a different way of looking at it and going, no, veterans are a resource. They're not the the target group uh, for aid. So I I'm constantly thinking about that, that inflection point when therapy becomes commercial and not in a bad way, but when it's like, Hey, what was just for me to get better suddenly is now, public facing and outward facing and what that inflection point is for you. Was that a conscious decision or was this kind of thrust upon you just because once you got asked once, it just led to so many other things. It, it just, you naturally had to take what was in you and start facing it outward. It's something I really resisted at first. Mm-hmm. I, I did a couple of commission pieces. I, I was still very self-focused at this point. I was still trying to get my health together, figure out what I wanted for my future. I didn't necessarily have a lot of energy to put into something that wasn't for me. Um, and so there was a time I just quit doing commissions for a little while. I just did things for me. It was a very active part of my therapy process. Um, I've got a p- couple of pieces that I actually really love that that turned out amazing, but mm. um, other people will probably never see, you know, maybe a decade from now mm. when I'm a little more comfortable with that. But uh, I just, I needed my energy for me. And then um, 
I just like, I liked what I was doing. I liked how they were turning out. I still look at things sometimes and like, oh, that's better than it used to be. Like, this is, this is good. Um, and so then I like turned back out. I invited commissions and again, and then since then, it's just been, you know, word of mouth. I would like to say that I'm good at selling myself. I can't even do Instagram. Like <laughs> Instagram's hard, man. That is it's, not an easy road. I, I keep telling myself I'm going to learn how to do it and like do better. Um, no, I'm, I'm good with people just looking at my work and sharing it with their friends and family and them commissioning as well. And then that also leaves me time to do things that are just like, personal, um, originals, you know, do you, uh, do you find any therapeutic value from doing commissioned work? Do you, are there times where you can, where it still becomes somewhat meditative or are you very focused on what the client wants? Um, I mean, the, the, the client wants is usually really easy. Mm. Um, it's something that I don't have to give all of my attention to, I can do it and think mm-hmm. about other things. Um, I've done a few uh, veteran memorial pieces. Mm. Um, I'm actually working on one right now. And those are just, you know, they're sad. They're, they're painful. Um, you know, people that died way too young. Um, and then I'm just staring at their picture for hours and hours on end. Uh, and that's, that's something that it's hard, but I feel like I get a lot out of. Let me pull. I, I I'm torn whether I want to go down that that rabbit hole, and I do. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a reprise for a minute on it because I want to ask just about the skill set. And again, knowing now that I'm dealing with a straight A student, um, is there a part of you that goes that that wanted to dive into the craft of illustration more like have you gone out and sought out classes or read books and like done something self-education just to hone your craft more or is it through the act of doing that you've gotten the most improvement and that you've seen yourself develop the most i've read a couple of books um you know i've watched some artists on instagram i don't know that I've gotten much out of that. Mm. Um, I think I've learned a lot more just looking and doing and just trying and failing and, and trying again. Um, it, it feels more authentic when I'm doing it that way. Like there's, to me, it feels like there's a time and a place for teachers and for um, inspiration from other artists. But I, I feel like I lose, I, I get in the comparison mode um, and I lose some of my like authenticity when I do that. What, what would you say right now that you're best at? When, what are you very comfortable? What are you like? This is my wheelhouse. This is, I, I'm very comfortable in this space. Is there any part of it that you feel like you're, you're really on point with? I can knock out a landscape just, mm love doing every moment of it. They're so forgiving. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> I could definitely see that. Sure. What what do you need improvement on? Do you know? Don't give me like a picture of a kid. Like 
they have no hard lines in their faces. They're just these little round blobs of like dough. It's so hard. That's hilarious. Wow. (laughs) And what, what medium do you find yourself working in the most? Are you, have you gotten into charcoal? Do you, is it all pencil? Is it pen? What are you you using? It's all pen, all fine point pen. Um, Charcoal's too messy. Pencil's too messy. Like I said, I don't, I don't like color. Um, So yeah, just pen and ink. So when there's, um, when you slip up, you, if you can't cover it up, you, you got to tear it up and move on and start from, start from scratch. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's no, no room safety for, net. Yeah. No room for mistakes. Um, okay. So let's talk about the commissioning work that you've been doing. Is it generally stuff that, or do people gravitate to you because <laughs> I don't, I don't think this is going to sound bad with the way I say it, but let me, let me say, do they gravitate to you because they can detect that your work has been, um, has had a degree of grief or loss or understanding of loss, or are they coming to you because they just are like, oh yeah, awesome illustration. Perfect. I don't think many people in my life know that there was that much grief there. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm a very private person and that's something that I kept very close until um, I mean, now I'm on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable talking about it. Um, but while I was going through it, um, it was just me. Just kept to myself, figured it out. Do you think that it infiltrated? I mean, it, it can't not have infiltrated your art, though, right? I feel like. I mean, I feel like it's there. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if that's what other people are picking up on. I've actually. I've never asked anyone why they wanted me to do something that's that's something I should probably do at some point do you find that most of the commissions are memorials or commemorative stuff for that that is somewhat mm-hmm. rooted in grief okay yeah um how satisfying is it for you to do a commission versus the satisfaction of doing something just for yourself is it a different feeling is it a richer feeling, not just financially, but like actually a, a more fulfilling feeling because you know the public is going to see it, or is it less so because it's not as personal necessarily to you? When I'm doing something for myself, I like to stretch it out over really long periods of time. And I'm talking like weeks and months because it's something that I get pleasure out of. It's something that I'm learning about myself through doing it. Um, I'm all about seeing what my unconscious mind is doing. Um, and that, that gives me some insight into myself. Um, when I'm doing commissions for other people, it's a different kind of of satisfaction. I'm more like how quickly and accurately can I do this? When somebody is looking at this, do they see like their loved one there? Um, or is it just, you know, no, sorry. No, finish your thoughts. Sorry. Oh, that's, that's all just, is it, the person that they care about um, on paper, or is it just a, a person, you know? Have you been asked to do conceptual stuff besides the book covers? Have more people come out and said, Hey, I've got, can you do something for this? And whether it's a, you know, or something conceptual where it's either based on something that you have to create out of whole cloth 
not necessarily something that's rooted in a picture or a reality. Um, I have a lot of people ask me if I will draw them a tattoo, which I say absolutely not. Um, I don't have any tattoos. I'm not a tattoo artist. That is not something. No, I will not draw something that will be on your body. Um, I, for the most part, it's realism and there's some kind of reference that goes with it. I, I had a terrible experience with somebody wanting me to illustrate a children's book for them. Um, that was a hard no. Uh, Why? But it's an, <laughs> because he was cheap. Absolutely <laughs> cheap. He told me I could work for exposure. And I was like, I don't, I don't need exposure. I told him how many hours that I needed to do this project. It was going to be like 150 minimum. Um, And this man offered me a price that was so cheap. It was something I could have made in like a week. Like just, just 10 hours doing anything else. And he just genuinely thought he was doing me a favor. Um, And I had more work than I, I needed at that point. Like I was, um, pushing off deadlines for a, like several weeks to get things wow. to people. Um, That's incredible. This is an incredible time. It seems to me to be an artist because people can find you and the word of mouth. I mean, I know you say like Instagram is, is hard and all that, but it has to, social media has to help you no, yeah. to some degree. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, I mean, that, that's just incredible. I mean, to think the flash to bang, you get out of the military in March of 2020, and a little over two years later, it's like you're with a snap of your fingers, you can be filled up with commissions mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that's incredible, right? All I have to say is, hey, I'm taking commissions right now. Who wants it? I did that the other day. I'm trying to make some wedding money. Uh, and I, that's good. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just moved up here. I'm taking the summer off before I start my second year of grad school in the fall. I just, I have time. I didn't want to get a, a real job. Uh, no, why? So, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. I just put it out there. Um, and then I had 10 people within 20 minutes. And I was like, okay, we're cut off now. Like, that's incredible. Wait till I ask again. So. That's all. I mean, that's a great reflection on you and your talent. And that's also, I mean, it's great that we live in a time that you can snap your fingers and, mm-hmm. and get that exposure for lack of a better word, uh, that quickly, what, what turns you on now when you're, um, when you get a commission piece, what do you love to hear? I think, and I'm, I'm basing this off of a couple of folks I've talked to now over the past several months that take commissions. And I feel like, especially people in the veteran community don't know necessarily how to ask for a piece to be commissioned, unless it's incredibly straightforward, like reproduce this picture or something. What do you want to hear? And what do you want to hear, not just for the efficiency of your process, but also that's going to turn you on, that's going to excite you and make you go, fuck yeah, I can't wait to dive into this. Is there something that is still out there that you are looking for? I would love to take more imaginative commissions. Um, I get a lot that are, they're just so straightforward and they're, they're so easy now. Like I just, sit down, knock one out in a day. Um, it doesn't 
there's still a little bit of considering the piece and how I'm going to like make certain certain highlights pop or how because it it is sometimes hard to get to take something that is in color and translate it to black and white that is still something Mm -hmm. that's a little difficult um just depending on the piece but I would love to do something that is more complicated um that is takes a little more creativity um is that also because you get more ownership as well? Like you actually have a buy-in yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you doing work for yourself? That's not a commission, but that you would show publicly. I am. Um, I'm doing a piece. It's like a, it's like a pun. It's like a foxhole. It's very illustrative. It's just a bunch of foxes, like doing some trench warfare. It's cute. It's fun. Um, I like it. <laughs> is do you see that? Do you see that your your subject matter is is shifting as that you know your life goes on and you're not always going to be in the same headspace that you were in, and that do you see like there's a lightness or a humor or and all that that's evolving as your emotions evolve and as they change, then the art changes a little bit. Absolutely, things are a lot more brighter, a lot more playful right now than they used to be. If you got if you got a bummer of a commission where it's like oh I gotta draw this and, and kind of is there a sense of uh, you're getting dragged back down a hole or is it is it not that big a deal to do something dark? Uh, it's it's not that big of a deal. I've got I've got great boundaries now. Okay, <laughs> I learned yeah. those the hard way, but it's. I can look at a piece and I can respect it and I can respect the feelings behind it, but it's not, it's not my emotions. It's not my feelings. Wow. Um, That's a healthy place to be. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I, am. Um, I want to ask you a weird question, but it, it, I feel like this is where my head would be if I were in your shoes. Um, dreams. Do you, how much do the dream do your dreams matter artistically? Do you wake up and you go, God, that thing I that image I just had, or that feeling that I felt in the dream, I need to convey it now. Is it a motivator? Is it a source? Are your dreams a source of inspiration for you in any way? And I'm saying that just because I think I, f- I feel like you know, dreams are you know, it's it's sand through the hands. It's it's tough to hold on to, but artistically you can render something that you just felt and the, and, and there could be a quick flash to bang with that sometimes, but I don't know. I, again, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Is that real? Is that actually, does that matter to you or do you find that's completely irrelevant? So that's something that's only happened to me, I think twice. Mm. Um, and they were dreams that I was, I was just stuck on. Like I couldn't figure out what my like mind was trying to tell me with that or like what my feelings were were saying with that. And so I did, yeah, I drew out those two. Um, and it's just a lot easier to process things when they're visual, I feel like, yeah. than when it's just something as abstract as a dream. Like one was like a, a landscape kind of, of place. Like I was dreaming about a place and I needed to look at it to see like, Oh, this was from this point in my life. Like, this is what I'm missing right now. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, 
I'm a very like practical, realistic person, uh, <laughs> but it does happen. Got you. Is there um, is there a, a, a story, um, a, a narrative, a theme, a subject that you find yourself coming back to over and over to unpack? And I'm saying that on the heel of what you said about the dream, where there's there's a problem that you're or a dream that's coming up that you're trying to solve, and you're going, hey, this, "There's something about this that's intriguing that's worth unpacking a bit." Do you find that? Do you find that like now that you have this outlet? you can communicate something and going back, looking at your life, looking at your army career, there's, you now have the opportunity to unpack experiences in the past. Do you find that? Or do you find that you're very much staying in the moment? And again, I'm talking mostly about your personal work, mm-hmm. not necessarily the commissions. Um, when I, that's a tough one. No, pass. I got nothing on that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why I ask. It, it, it's, it's mostly, um, I, I think it was, I can't, I think it was like a documentary on Woody Allen or something like that, but somebody was saying, you know, most uh, creative people spend their lives trying to tell one theme and it's just finding all the different ways that they're trying to come back to it. And it's, you can take 8 million bites of the apple to try to get to that core. And uh, so that's why I asked that is I'm just um, wondering if you, if there's any part of you, and I'm not saying this is a rule. I'm just wondering if there's a a through line that kind of always draws you back in because it does seem like your life has been right angles. Like it's take, like you were on one path and then it's a very clear Mm -hmm. other path and not necessarily like, yeah, I was always this little girl that loved to draw and loved to, tell these, you know, uh, figure out these stories. It's like this evolved in a very different way. So that's what just what made me mm-hmm. wonder. Um, no, I just try to go where the, the universe is pointing me. I, yeah, yeah. I gave up trying to like things happen. I gave up trying to fight it. So I just, just go where life takes me. Well, there's something I think really healthy about that though, too, right? You're not like wallowing in your own <laughs> <laughs> your own stuff. It's like, you're not sitting there going, Oh my God, I gotta go back to this thing. I, I think there's, there's a lot of health in that. And I guess, um, do you have any opinions about art therapy for veterans, especially with your academic background? I mean, do you think there's, or just how do, how do you feel of it, about it as a valuable tool or, you know, its benefits? So I um, spent the last year working um, at an organization that provides housing for veterans experiencing homelessness or um, veterans in recovery. Uh, it's also a dual-sided program. So it's like 45 beds for veterans and 160 beds for just um, general men in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prior to that, I worked at a domestic violence shelter um, and then volunteered uh, with a child advocacy center. And this, the theme throughout all of that is that people love art when life is hard and when it is painful. Um, And it looks different for different people, but I would do morning meditation sessions Mm. with some of the gentlemen. Um, And if you've ever seen just a room full of felons coloring, coloring pages, 
It is something really cool. Like I have never handed a coloring page to somebody and been like, Hey, do you want to color? And they've been like, no, I don't want to color. Mm. Um, it was the same at the domestic violence shelter. Um, kids are a little bit different. Like you can hand a kid a blank piece of paper and they'll go to town. That's something that's a lot more vulnerable for adults. I think like a mm. blank page is just mm. very scary or a blank canvas is very scary, but, um, abstract is something that worked really well. And then like coloring something that was just basic levels of expression that didn't require a lot of like looking inward. Um, like you could, you could scrape the outer level and not dig deep into the trauma before people were ready for it. Um, but then absolutely. I believe that art is really good. Like if you're in a place where you are ready to work through your your trauma um whatever that looks like it's it's just incomparable is that a particular focus of yours with your social work um uh, it is art i mean i didn't realize you're doing all that volunteer work kind of mm -hmm. in the art therapy space is, is that a focus of yours or is that just kind of been incidental to your academic um it's something i would love to do in the future it's something that has come up really organically mm. um in places it's, it really reinforced it, um, working with, uh, the gentleman experiencing homelessness and the ones experiencing substance use disorder, just seeing that it, like, it is effective on a very practical level. Mm. Um, and not just in this, I think, I think people do a lot of like hippy dippy, right. you know, right. spiritual, which is great. I love that too. Um, for veterans, that's not usually the answer um veterans tend to want like very like straightforward um kind of masculine like mm. ways to deal with their their things like if you i'm trying to think we had a lot of veterans from vietnam um obviously have a lot of ptsd and then a, a lot from the iraqi war and i think when you're taking somebody that is still facing their trauma every day and is still seeing their trauma every day. Um, I think giving them a piece of paper is just, I think the same as when I was going through my grief is you're taking something in your head and you're making it real and you're making it like part of the real world and you can see it and you can process it through that. Um, and I love that. It's definitely something I want to do in the future. Yeah. I mean, it makes me ask, is this something you're going to do then the rest of your life? If is, is it something that, that can, that can grow and mature and follow all the moods, all the shifts in life, or is it something that, um, that there can be a healthy expiration date on just because, Hey, you know something, there was always a therapeutic basis to this and I'm good. And I don't need this anymore. When I started drawing, there was this feeling of relief because I found something that I could do for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, like I said, running was a big, big part of my life. And it's something that I'm never going to be able to do again. Um, and there are so many hobbies um, or stress outlets that are like that. They have a time limit and sometimes that's longer than you expect it to be. And sometimes it's shorter, but there's always going to be that day. It's like the last time you'll do something you love. 
um, and art, it's dynamic. Um, if for some reason I couldn't draw anymore, there's something else I could do. And that gives me a lot of, of peace about it. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Would you be the artist that you are now if you hadn't been in the military? No. It's kind of like social work, right? You kind of have to need to have lived a little bit yeah. for it to have the depth, right? A, a, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And, and I guess then let me ask with your social work, would you be the social worker you are without the art, without seeing how you, one of the tools that you've used for yourself? I think I might've found a different outlet um, or a different tool in my tool belt, but this is the one that feels the most me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's incredible. I, I really appreciate it. It's so funny. You know, I'm glad we talked when we did, because it's just, these are all the subjects that have been coming up over and over, especially in the last like week or two. Um, but I think there, I think there's a lot of value in understanding um, not just the tool that you use therapeutically, but then how it does become public facing and outward facing and, and the value that has, I don't know that it, on the, on, I'm just telling you, just, that's, that's my initial takeaway. I'm just like, that's so awesome. Cause we're, we've just been talking about that a whole lot. Um, are you going to show at some point, are you going to, would you, would you show, do you aspire to do a showing, to do a gallery show, anything like that? Or now with Instagram is even as difficult as Instagram is, is, is it too easy just to show your stuff whenever you feel like online? I would love to do a showing. Um, it's something that it would all have to be pieces that I'm really proud of. Mm. Um, and like I said, when I'm doing things for myself, I really take my time and getting together a collection of pieces that, um, that follow a story that would mm. fit into a gallery type showing, um, that are like cohesive and make sense together. That's something that I'm going to keep working towards, um, and hopefully I'll get there if I can, you know, stay on the same subject for long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I would love to see that. Hey, come back and talk to us down the road. Like yeah. I'd, I'd love to know what else is going on. And uh, this is great. Can we do this again? Absolutely. We can whenever okay. you want to love it. All right. Listen, we'll talk very soon then. All right. Thanks, that was the savage wonder of Katie Grugan. Uh, man, I enjoyed talking to her. I cannot wait to talk to her again down the road and see where she is and where her artwork is and um, how she's continuing to unfold her talent. Or if she, uh, I don't know, hits Nirvana, blisses out, and it's like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. But I uh, just really appreciated her taking the time and talking. I think it's an incredible story. And hopefully you guys got as much out of it as I did. Okay, um, housekeeping. What stuff do we have to talk about? Uh, we have shows at the parlor. If you're in the greater Cornwall, New York area, come see them. If you want to support VetRep, come see VetRep. 
be part of any of the lines of effort we're doing, whether it's our literary blog, our Write Loud events on Instagram Live, this podcast, uh, our live shows, whatever, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, and you can learn about any and everything having to do with us. Want to know more about the Savage Wonder Festival? Yes, you can go to savagewonder.com. That's savagewonder, all one word, dot com, savagewonder.com. But if that's too confusing for you, again, just go to vetrep.org. You'll be able to find all the links from there. So we try to make it as easy for you as we can. If you're listening to this show on iTunes, we would love it if you left us a five-star review. Say whatever you want to us in the review itself. Questions, comments, snide remarks. Um, but if you could put five stars for the review, that would mean a lot because those metrics do matter. Outside of that, I don't think I have too many other shameless plugs. Um, I'll try to make this relatively short and sweet. So maybe we'll leave it there for today. Yeah. I need to thank our producer for this show, Michael Neal, who each and every week makes us sound as good as we possibly can. Uh, and I deeply appreciate it. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.